Hey, everybody. David G., alcoholic and an addict. Very grateful to be here with you tonight. Grateful for a recovery date of August 8th, 1994. And really grateful to see everybody. Hope everybody had a happy Thanksgiving. And, uh, man, it's, um, it's good to be sober. It's good to be clean. Good to be sober. So um, grateful to be here. Miss Ashley, thank you for all of your service to this meeting and the meetings beyond. Dennis, you as well, brother, as always, always uh, alive to service with these guys. And I'm very grateful for that. And we've been studying for a lot of weeks through the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And we've went pretty in-depth, taking a look at self and how it has deceived us and pretty much destroyed our life by the time that we get to Alcoholics Anonymous or whatever fellowship that we show up here from. Now, we've been worked through the first four steps in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And we've looked at the defects of character as Bill calls it, the exact nature of our wrongs. He talks about it being shortcomings. He talks about it being mistakes. Two of the women that worked for Bill at one time asked Bill this question. They said, you know, why do you change words so many times in, in the big book? What's the difference between shortcomings, defects, wrongs, mistakes? And he said, well, there's, there's no difference in them whatsoever. He said whenever he was in college, they had taught him to write using different words to say the same thing. He said, otherwise, they told me it, made me it would make me look dumb. So that's exactly what he does here. The book talks about our wrongs, defects, mistakes, shortcomings. It's all the same. It's all the same. We see that these are the soldiers of self. As we've been studying through this book, we begin to see that these are the things that manifest in our life. Unknowingly, we take action based upon these things, and when we do, it brings about whatever is going on in our life. So for me, it was alcohol, it was drugs, it was lust, it was sex, it was food, anything that brought any type of gratification short-term to self, I took that. Now, when we get to this part of the book, by now we have really begun to open our eyes to what's going on with us. See, the four-step didn't tell me who I am. I hear that in meetings all the time. The four-step showed me who I am. That's not what it did for me at all. What it did for me is it showed me who I'd become based on a narrative that had been given to me called self. It created a story. I acted the part of that story. The book says I acted. Over and over and over, I would see these things in my life. So what emerged from the ashes of that fourth step was a man who would walk free through this arch that he's been talking about all along. We seen last week as we started into action on page 72, that really when we get here, we're, we're not coming to this fifth step to talk about all of our filth and all of our junk and all of the stuff that we, I mean, all of this dirty, nasty stuff that I've already got a lot of guilt and remorse and shame over. And now I'm going to go spill it out to somebody else. And I'm going to feel even more shameful while I'm going through that process. My book says none of that. I showed up to that fifth step and I started talking that stuff. And that man said, I don't want to hear that. I went a little further. He said, I don't want to hear that. And as I said last week, my question to him was, why in the hell am I here then? What, what are we to talk about? And I think it makes it very clear there on page 72, in the, in the, and this is just a recap. On page 72 in the second full paragraph, it says this. This is perhaps difficult, especially discussing our defects with another person. And if we stop right there and we remember where the defects were outlined, which would what most would call the fourth column, 
It was in our fears and it was in our conduct. That's what we're there to talk about because these are the things that self has used to take on my identity and, and me not knowing any better. I've agreed to this. So this is what I'm there. It, it'll go on to say in the next couple of sentences, we think we've done well enough admitting these things to ourselves. But there's doubt about that. Why? Because in actual practice, we use to find a solitary self-appraisal, small s, insufficient. Even while I was writing the fourth step, self played a big part in me writing that fourth step, even though I didn't know it. I used the third step prayer, just like they told me to do every time. But when I got to step five, and I got people on this meeting that can attest to this tonight, when I got to step five, and we begin to look at that fourth column. There were things that were pulled out there that was the truth that I didn't even see while I was writing. Why? Because the solitary self-appraisal is insufficient. I cannot see these things by myself. I cannot use self to overcome self. There's no way for that to happen for me. So although he's checking my work and he's looking at my stuff, there's things that are getting missed. These are the defects I can't see. So I need someone who knows the program. I need to pick somebody who knows the program in order to bounce these things off of. Now, I think if a person has a religious denomination that requires confession, absolutely, you should go to that. But I also think that to do that with somebody who's skilled through the program in Alcoholics Anonymous is a very powerful thing to do, because if not, we just show up and we do confession, and we miss the entire principle of the step. This isn't only about confession. It's more than confession. It's transformation. It's character building. And we're going to see tonight as we study through this book, at this point in it, we're going to begin to have a transformation because the man that takes the first five steps is not the same man that's going to take the last seven. There's a transformation there. I can't walk out to the people that I've harmed and make amends to them if there's not some kind of transformation there. I just can't do that. Self is not going to let that happen. It's just not. So page 74 tells us when we have to do this. And we looked at this last week. We looked at the characteristics all the way through here. With such parts of our story, we tell someone who will understand yet be unaffected. We're anxious to do this with the right person. It's important that he be able to keep a confidence. These are all the characteristics of the man that I'm going to pick, which usually is a sponsor. It says that he won't try to change our plan at the top of 75. We must not use this as a mere excuse to postpone. And that's telling my story, not writing out some BS life story like I did at treatment and bringing in here and going to read to a man. I, if I've done the four step is outlined the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and I've seen the truth about the lie. I see the self now. I'm going to sit down and talk about this with another man. And when I do, he's going to point things out to me that I haven't been able to see. And we're going to see the truth right here. I'm going to start to get free. Well, for me to see the truth is one thing. For me to do something about it is quite the other. And that's what it's asking me to do here. It's asking me to do something about it. So look at what it says on page 75. When we decide who is to hear our story, it sounds like there's a decision to be made right there, doesn't it? We've made a lot of decisions in these last couple of steps. Right here, we're going to make another one. This is my decision. When I decide who is to hear my story, I'm going to waste no time. There's that word time again. A lot of times people will say, well, just put it off. Be sure you pick the right guy. Take a little time. Do this. No, I don't want to waste any time. If I got a guy that I've asked to be willing to write the inventory the way that we write inventory, and I've got guys and a lady on here, a couple of ladies, 
that will damn sure attest to the fact that this isn't no easy inventory to write. You're not going to do this in 30 minutes to an hour. It's going to take a little bit. It's going to take a little bit for sure. And so if I've asked someone to do that, I'm not going to waste any time when they call me up. I'm going to say, well, let me look at the calendar, see if we can get you on there next week or the week. No, Mm-mm. we're going to go to this immediately. I'm going to get you in tomorrow. Let's do it right away. So when we decide who is to hear our story, we waste no time. We have a written inventory. That's the fourth step. And we're prepared for a long talk. This ain't going to take 30 minutes. A lot of people that I would go do those steps with in the older days, man, we would do this in an hour or so, and that'd be the end of it. You know, we'd rush through all that. I'll pick out your four or five worst resentments you got. Let's talk about your worst fear. Tell me the worst thing you ever done in your sex conduct. Okay, we're done. Are you ready? No, no. The book says right here, we are prepared for a long talk. And you can talk to some of the people on here. It's been a long talk. One of them was 12 hours straight, like they killed me dead. But it kept me sober, and I'm very grateful for it today. So we explained to our partner what we're about to do and why we have to do it. Now, most people don't have to do that these days. In those days, they did. He should realize that we're engaged upon a life and death errand. There's a promise in the big book. That's a promise. We are engaged upon a life and death errand. I don't need to put you on the calendar two weeks down the road to see if we can get together for your fifth step. We need to be doing this pretty quick. Most people, not all people, but most people approached in this way will be glad to help. They will be honored by our confidence. And that's a high word for any two alcoholics to get together is honor. And there we start to see some of the first fruits with that one word. They will be honored by our confidence. And I'm honored that they are willing to be confident about this. Well, 75 is going to tell us how to do it. 74 tells us when to do it. 75 is going to tell us how to do it. Now, these are called the fifth step promises in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I go to a lot of meetings. I hear people say, read promises, Dave. I'm like, all right, which set? What do you mean, which set? The promises. Well, there's lots of promises. There's promises on 63. There's promises on 75. There's promises on every page of this book. 84, 83. Which promises are we talking about? Normally, they're talking about the nine step promises. But in this case, we're going to talk about the fifth step promises. Now, I do all of this work, and there's no reward for me here. I'm still a selfish individual. I'm not going to do this. Let's look at what he says. We pocket our pride, and we go to it, eliminating every twist of character. There's one of the first fifth steps directions right there. Every dark cranny of the past. Look at this beautiful promise. Once we have taken this step, and there is a condition, and here it is, withholding nothing. I can't hold back on this. I've got to let it all out right here. Well, look at the rewards. My God, I've been waiting for this my whole life. I am delighted. Look at that promise. I can look the world in the eye. I don't know about you, but there was many times in my life that I couldn't work, look the world in the eye. There's a lot of parents and there were a lot of husbands and there were a lot of people, a lot of kids, a lot of people that I heard. I couldn't look people in the eye. I just couldn't. Today, I can do that with no matter who I talk to. I can look the world in the eye. We can be alone at perfect peace and ease. I could never wake up by myself. There always needed to be somebody there with me. If not, I needed to be on the horn with somebody pretty quick. We needed to be talking. We needed this. I needed somebody. This thing was chattering and it wouldn't shut up and I need somebody to help me shut it down. I don't have to do that anymore. Here's my reward of the fifth step, withholding nothing. I can be alone at perfect peace and ease. My fears 
fall from me. What a promise. Most of us had a list of fears a mile long. We narrowed them down to 12 root fears and we took a good look at these. And it's like, wow. Now notice how it says these fears fall from us. It doesn't say we get rid of them. A lot of people will pray for this. God, take this away. Get rid of this. Get rid of this. It doesn't say that. It says that they will fall from us. We begin. Now, this is only the beginning. There's more work to be done to make this beginning become consistent. We begin to feel the nearness of our creator, not just think it, not just talk about it, not just hear about it. We're going to begin to feel this from deep within. Man, I've been looking for this my whole life. That's why I drank. That's why I drug. That's why I act out sexually. That's why I behave the way I do, because I need the nearness of some kind of peace. And that's the only thing I know at the time that will bring that to me. That runs out and it doesn't work anymore and I can't stop it. But when I do this work, I get to feel the nearness of that creator. I, I begin to feel it. Now, we may have had certain spiritual beliefs, but this is probably the most powerful promise for me on this page. But, and that changes the entire wording of the rest of that page, anything we've read. We may have had certain spiritual beliefs, but now we begin to have a spiritual experience. There's a transformation that takes place between a spiritual belief and a spiritual experience. I've been taken to a place of neutrality, safe and protected, not from alcohol, drugs, lust, acting out, eating, whatever it may be, from this. This is what drives me to do all that stuff. So I've had a bunch of spiritual beliefs up to this point, but now I'm going to begin to have a spiritual experience. There's a transformation between belief and experience. Remember, we talked about this all the way back in step two. A belief with no action is just a belief. That's all it is. It's worthless. It's no good. But if I take action based on that belief, now I will begin to have an experience. And that's what I've been looking for all along. The feeling that the drink problem, the drug problem, the overeating, the lust, whatever it may be, codependency has disappeared. Will often, not always, but often come strongly. Wow. We say the third step prayer every time that we begin to do this. If we get interrupted by a phone call, the boss calls, the wife calls, somebody calls, and we get interrupted, got to go to the restroom, whatever it is, you come back, we go straight back to that third step prayer. We invite God into this every time. We don't ever leave that out. And by doing that, the feeling that the drink problem has disappeared will often come strongly. We will feel we are on the broad highway walking hand in hand with the spirit of the universe. Now, when I always read this book before, I thought that was talking about I just walk hand in hand with him during his fifth step and all. This is talking about beyond, way beyond. The man that's about to step out and make these amends, and some of them pretty severe, pretty horrific at the things I've done to people. I can't do that with self. Self will not let it happen for one thing, and it will destroy more relationships trying to make an amends because I wasn't ready for an amends. I must walk hand in hand with the spirit of the universe. So through the rest of this process, I'm going to walk hand in hand, not with my sponsor. Although I'm going to walk shoulder to shoulder with him, I'm not going to walk hand in hand with him. I'm going to walk hand in hand with the spirit of the universe. Man, that is a beautiful promise. Well, we've probably done a lot of work up to now, and I guarantee you people are tired. Many of them on here is like, man, man, I'm tired. <laughs> and I understand it because I was tired too. And the book's going to give us a chance to rest just a little bit, maybe an hour. <laughs> Some people say, oh, you know, take your time on this, you know, look at it, you know, holler at me in a week. That's not what this book says. 
it says returning home, we're going to find a place to where we can get quiet for an hour. And that's talking about within. I'm going to get quiet within. And this is something I don't know a whole lot about up to this point. I mean, I've had little glimpses of it coming through here. But it says, I'm going to get quiet for an hour. Not a week or two. Not a day or two. I need to get on this pretty quick. And notice this word carefully. I want to carefully review what I've done and these first four steps. Now, notice it says we think, and anytime we see those two words in this book, that's a prayer. God follows closely thereafter. So we see we thank God. That's our prayer from the bottom of our heart that we know him better. I can remember doing this. And as best I could, and my mind tried to tell me it wasn't good enough. But as best I could, I remember thanking God from the bottom of my heart that I finally knew him better, that he was the director. Now, self wasn't the director, that by his grace, I would not be taking actions based on self anymore, that I would be taking actions based on the spirit and that I would get to walk in the sunlight instead of the dark. And this was my prayer. And I just continually prayed this stuff as I went through this part of it. And I just thanked him from the bottom of my heart as best I could that I knew him better, not that I knew about him that i knew him better big difference in that well taking this book down from our shelf and i'm a man that likes to go by the book so i remember putting the book up on the shelf and taking the book back down and then i sat down i turned over to the page which contains the 12 steps so if you will hold your place right there and you'll flip back to page 59 then we will see where he's talking about i'm going to turn back to right here now, notice that what he says, carefully, and <laughs> not hurry up. I've got an hour here, and I've got a little beyond if I need it. Carefully, I'm going to read these first five proposals, in other words, steps. There again, he changed up the wording to mean the same thing. Looking back at page 59 and holding my place right there, I'm going to look at step one. I'm going to ask myself this question. Did I miss anything in step one, God? If I did, creator, source, whatever you call your higher power, show me. And I'm going to sit quietly with that. And if something comes to mind, I'm going to jot that down on a notebook. And I'm going to hold on to that because I'm going to talk to my sponsor again. If nothing comes to me, I'm going to look at step two. Came to believe a power greater than myself, greater than self, could restore me to sanity. I'm going to ask if I've missed anything in step two. If something comes up, I'm going to write it down. If nothing comes up, I'm going to sit there for a bit. All this time, I'm praying and meditating, praying and meditating. Finally, I'm learning to meditate. I'm learning to listen within. Step three, made a decision to turn our will and lives over to the care of God as we understood him, not as we understand him. It's italicized for a reason. Something comes up, I'm going to write it down. If it doesn't, I'm going on. Step four, same thing, searching fearless moral inventory. If nothing comes up, I'm going to go back over here to 75, and I'm going to look the rest of my directions. Carefully reading the first five proposals, we ask from within, and for me, that's a prayer. I'm going to ask, God, have I omitted anything? If something comes up, I'm going to put that down. If it doesn't, I'm going to move on. Now, notice this great promise. We're building an arch through where we shall walk a free man at last. From drugs, alcohol, booze, sex, lust, no. From that which drives us to that over and over and over. It's called the self. Ideas, attitudes, concepts, beliefs, prejudice, all these things we've been looking at all this time. 
have I omitted anything there? And it says, look at that promise. I'm going to walk a free man at last, emotionally free from the self. Not only have I not drank whiskey today, I haven't even thought about drinking whiskey today. Not only have I acted out in, in all kinds of tra- strange and crazy ways, I haven't even thought about doing that today. That's the miracle. That's the miracle. The miracle isn't only that I haven't put a needle in my arm and shot dope today. The miracle is I hadn't even wanted to at all. That thought never came to me. Not one time. Emotionally, I've walked a free man in all these areas. Look at the next question. Is our work solid so far? Are the stones properly in place? There's a question. If you'll hold your place right there and flip back with me to page 47 for just a second. Let's take a look at the cornerstones that we looked at back in step two. Middle of the page. We need to ask ourselves but one short question. Do I now believe? That's the agnostic. Or am I even willing to believe? That's the atheist. That there is a power greater than myself. As soon as a man can say he does believe, that's the agnostic, or is even willing to believe, that's the atheist. We emphatically assure him he's on his way. It's been repeatedly proven among us that up on this simple cornerstone, a wonderfully spiritual structure can be built. Up on this simple cornerstone, there are the stones in the arch. They're on each side. My brother Dennis had a picture of that a week or so ago that he put up on the screen. And it showed us where the stones in the arch were. They're on each corner. And we got to have that. There they are. If you'll look to the right and look to the left at the bottom on that foundation, there's our cornerstone. Without that being in place, I promise you that arch is not going to stand. And remember what he says on 75. If that arch does not stand, it's going to fall. We're not going to walk a free man. Self is going to come back into my life. It's going to overtake me. Dennis, if you leave that there just a second, I appreciate it, brother. Are the stones properly in place? If you'll hold your place right there and let's run back to page 62 in this book for just a second. If we drop down to the bottom of the page, my book says this this is the how and the why of it. First of all, we had to quit playing God. It didn't work. Next, we decided here's the third step decision, not the prayer. Here's the decision. Next, we decided that sounds like a decision to me. That hereafter in this drama life, God is going to be our director. He's the principal. We're the agent. He's the father. We're the children. Most good ideas are simple, and this concept was the keystone. Here's the other song. So if you'll look at the keystone in the middle of that arch at the top, that's what holds the entire arch into place. Without that, the whole thing will crumble and fall. So are the stones properly in place? On page 75, that question, during our hour of meditation, the second half of the fifth step, there's two parts. There's the part we do, and here's the part we do after the fifth step. And I need to know, is that keystone in place? Because if it's not, and I walk on through the rest of these steps, I'm not going to get emotionally free. And if I don't do that, there's a good chance that I'm going to go back to drinking. And if I don't, I may turn into some other form of addiction. And that was definitely my case. The stones were not properly in place. I went on with the rest of the steps, and I ended up in lust addiction that held me in bondage for about 24 years. So it's very important that these stones be in place. Thank you, Dennis. Now we skimped on the cement put into the foundation. If you'll hold your place right here and run back to page 17 for just a second with me. In the middle of the page, about three quarters of the way down, he says this. Above the second paragraph here. The feeling of having shared in a common peril, that's only one element in this powerful cement. We're talking about the fellowship. 
But that by itself, talking about the fellowship, would have never held us together as we're now joined. So if you come back to page 75, we're going to ask ourselves, have we skimped on the cement put into the foundation? The foundation is going to be our first step. That's what we're looking at. Step one right there. Have I skimped on the cement put into that? Because if I have, there's going to be cracks in that foundation. And when that happens, that's my life we're talking about. I'm going to take a hard tumble and fall. People come in, David, I relapsed, I relapsed, I relapsed, I relapsed. According to my book, unless you've had a spiritual experience, you don't relapse. You resume. You just pick up where you left off. There's been no transformation. You have nothing to relapse from. You just resume. Look at the next question. Have we tried to make mortar without sand? Am I going to meetings but not really practicing what's in this book? Am I working the book and working the program, but I'm not making very many meetings? Have I tried to make mortar without sand? What's my experience here? Have I got both of these areas going? The fellowship, the unity being the body, and recovery being the mind. And that's the, the mental part of this. So have I skimped on any of this? This is what I'm looking at for a solid hour. All of these directions that it's told me about right here. So at the top of page 76, it says this, if we can answer to our satisfaction. Now that's talking about all the questions on 55 there toward the bottom. Then we're going to look at step six. Now we have emphasized willingness as being indispensable. So if we've done four and five, according to the book, and we've really taken a good look at this, by now, we are beginning to really start to feel this transformation. We're starting to have a new experience from self. According to the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, within one hour after you take that fifth step, you should be in step nine. And people say, no, that's bullshit, David. You shouldn't be saying that in a meeting. Well, I don't care what you say. My book says right here, that if I can answer to my satisfaction after I spend an hour with God, then I'm going to look at six and I'm going to ask myself these questions. We have emphasized willingness as being indispensable. Have we, or have we not? Are we now ready to let God remove all the things which we have admitting that was in our fifth step, which are objectionable. There's things that are objectionable to my spirit today that I will not allow. I always run around for years thinking that my spirit needed to protect me. Oh, you need to help me protect me. There come a day that I learned that I'm going to have to take care of my spirit as well. There are certain things that I'm not going to allow to come into my life that pollute and poison what I got going on. Am I willing to let God remove all the things from us, which we have admitted in that fifth step that are objectionable? Can he take them now? Now, everyone, how big is this God that we've built through this process right here? We talk about how loving and kind and forgiving and big he is. It's time to pony up now. It's time because... Can he take them all, everyone? What about my lust that I keep hidden? What about doing a little gambling on the side? I don't want to tell anybody about the money that I'm spending. What about the secrets and the lies that I'm holding on up to up to this point that I've not been willing to tell anybody? Am I willing to let all that go? Can he take them all, everyone? Well, here's the good news. And, man, it is good news. If we still cling to something that we will not let go, Here's our six-step prayer. For so long, I did not know there was a six-step prayer in this book. But anytime I see those two words with God following shortly after, that's a prayer. It says, we ask of God to help us be willing. And that's exactly what we do. My prayer became this. God, give me the willingness to become willing. God, give me the willingness to become willing. I prayed that for years with lust. 
and the day come when I become willing, but it wasn't all pretty and roses. And he said, okay, go ahead. There were a lot of consequences that had to be accounted for, and uh, they were all on me. So help us be willing. When I'm ready, after my hour review, I'm going to say something like this. My creator, I'm now willing that you should have all of me, the good and the bad. The good drives me away from God. The bad drives me to God. I don't really know the difference in the two. They run together so much that whenever I'm in a bad spot, I want to run to God. But whenever I'm feeling pretty good, I'll just go to some meetings and talk about all this wonderful stuff that I've learned through the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and the message I can carry. It's all BS. Every bit of it. Look at the prayer. I pray that you, meaning God, now, not in a little while, not after I get with my sponsor here in a little bit, now, remove from me every single defect of character and look at this wording closely, which stands in the way. He ain't going to take them all. He just not. They told me that those things were given to me. I got to have fear. If I didn't have fear, hell, I'd stand out in the street and let cars run by me and over me and everything. I, I wouldn't be afraid of none of that. I'd pet a rattlesnake in the mouth. I don't mind catching them, but I ain't going to be petting on none of them. And, uh, you know, if I didn't have any fear. So fear is a good thing. Fear is not a bad thing. It was never intended to be bad. Self takes fear and makes it bad. It uses it against us. Same way with selfishness. People tell me there is no good in selfishness at all. I don't know why you're here tonight, but I know why I'm here. It's because David G's recovery comes first. I hope you gain something from this. I pray to God you do. But I'm telling you. I'm here for one guy, and that's me. And people tell me all the time, the newcomer's the most important person in the meeting, David. No, he's not. Now, his welfare may be first. Don't get me wrong. But if he's more important than I am in that meeting, that means his recovery is more important than mine, and I'm in trouble if I put anybody's recovery ahead of my own. So what about dishonesty? Well, I've told the lie to keep from hurting feelings. Here's what I've learned about dishonesty. It's not what I tell outwardly. It's what I believe inwardly. If I believe that I am still the self, I am my thoughts, I am my beliefs, I am my concepts, I am this. That's dishonesty. So when I'm free from that, <laughs> it doesn't exist. Notice what the prayer says. Every defect of character that stands in the way, not all of them, but here it is of my usefulness to you and to my fellows. That's the ones that are going to be taken away, just the ones that stand in the way of my usefulness to him and to my fellows. This isn't all about me. This is about God and my fellows. This told me this all the way through this book, starting there in step three, if you remember, of those that I would help with thy power, thy love, thy way of life, didn't say shit about David there. And I had no idea about any of that. Grant me strength as I go out from here, and I guarantee we're going to need that strength because we're fixing to take a walk, <laughs> and we're going to walk out, and we're going to repair some of the damage that we've done in the past. And I just thought, man, I don't want to do this, you know. One of the reasons I don't know where I'm going to end up, I don't know any of this, you know, I might end up in China. And I can remember my sponsor at the time telling me, I'm pretty sure God loved the Chinese a whole lot more than to send you over there messing with them, David. You need to worry about one thing and one thing only, and that's repairing the damage that you've done. Yeah, you're going somewhere, but China ain't going to be it. You're going out and you're going to repair the damage done in the past. And you're going to need strength in order to do that. Grant me strength. That's a prayer. As I go out from here to do your bidding, 
your will, in other words, and notice this word, amen. There was no amen at the end of step three. We seen that that prayer had no amen at the end of it. That was an open-ended prayer. We talked about doing prayer and action, prayer and action, prayer and action, all the way from three, all the way over here to seven. That's all been one solid prayer. Every time that we stop writing and we come back to the writing, we said the third step prayer. Every time we begin to do the fifth step, we did the third step prayer. We did the prayer work on page 67. Prayer, prayer, prayer. We prayed all the way through this thing. Now we're going to close that prayer out. Amen. Anytime that you close out a prayer in the spiritual realm, it always ends with amen. And it did not end in step three. It ended here. Why? Because the body of work between three and seven, prayer and action, prayer and action, prayer and action. I could not have looked at the things I seen had I not done that prayerfully. If something hadn't been opened up to me there, there's no way I could have seen that. If I go and try to do that body of work without prayer, then I'm doing it myself. And we all know how that's ended up. But look at this sentence. Kind of strange. Very strange sentence in the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous. We then completed step seven. I've been to a lot of meetings. They said, you never complete these steps. You never graduate this. You don't ever complete this. That's not what it says right there. It says, I've completed seven. That's a strange, <laughs> that's a strange sentence. So when I take a close look at this, what I see is that I'm going to get to practice this in 10, 11 for the rest of my life. What this means to me is I've completed seven, but I've also completed a body of work from three to seven. And that brought the amen. That closes it out. Doesn't mean that I've completed, I'm done. I don't ever have to look and mess with this again. That's not what that means at all. What this means is that I've completed body of work. Well, now we need more action. It's like, my God, when does this ever end? That was, you know, what I was thinking. Which without, we find that faith without works is dead. My sponsor says all the time, works without any faith is self-propulsion. It's all it is. Faith without any works is dead. So I can have all the faith I want, but if I don't put any work into this deal, it's dead. It's worthless. Faith is like a belief with no action followed up behind it. It's useless. It just is. We've seen all through the book, even in Bill's story, you know, you know, faith plus, you know, the power and belief in God. And so he says, let's look at steps eight and nine. We've completed the first seven. So now we're going to look at eight and nine. We have a list of all the people who we've harmed, whom we were willing to make amends. Look at this sentence. We made it when we took inventory. I can remember burning that inventory one time. Man, I had one mad Indian dude, full blood Indian dude, man. He was like, where's that inventory? And I was like, I burn it. And he said, you what? And I said, yeah, I burn it. He said, why in the hell would you burn that inventory? Why? I said, well, because I heard in the meetings that after you went through your fist step and all this, you burnt the inventory. He said, man, I've been trying to tell you, boy, for I don't know how long. What you hear in that meeting doesn't match up with what you see in this book. Don't do it. He said, you burnt your eighth step list. It's gone. <laughs> I was like, wow, really? Well, according to that, he's exactly right. I have the list. With whom I'm willing to make amends, that should be a question. I made it when I took inventory. Now, one of the things that I ask my people to do today that I take through this work is to prayerfully 
rifle through that inventory, look at the names that need to go on that eighth step list, but also to pray and ask the creator, is there anything that they've missed? And if that comes to mind, go ahead and put it down. Then when they come back, we look at the eighth step list. We separate guilt and shame and places and people who need, we just need to clear the air with from actual harm. So we're going we're gonna to weed a lot of that list down. I mean, if it's just guilt, you owe an apology, make it, clear the air. We're talking about actual harms here. That's what we're wanting to do. Self can jumble you up in this eighth step, and I promise you because it has me, and it'll have me running out here making all these amends to people, and I don't even need to be making amends to. And, man, I'm in all kinds of trouble. I can remember telling one guy how sorry I thought he was, and I apologized. He said, well, I never knew nothing about that, David. He said, I can't believe that, man. We've been friends forever. I mean, that's how you thought, really? And I hurt that man by trying to make amends to him because I didn't know any better. Nobody gave me the directions out of the big book, Hawks Anonymous, on how to make amends. It's more than just saying I'm sorry. I used to say it's nowhere in here does it say that it said that we say we're sorry. It does say it. It does say it a couple of times. So I need to pay attention to what this book's telling me to do at this point because I'm fixing to step out here. <laughs> and I'm going to take, um, take a big leap right here. Well, it says we subject ourselves to drastic self-appraisal. We did that in the fourth step, didn't we? We sure did. Now, <laughs> now we're going to go out to our fellows and we're going to repair the damage done in the past. There's a direction. That's exactly what David G is getting ready to do at this point. There ain't no more hanging around. There ain't no more putting it off there, two or three, or I'll get to them when I can. If I'm willing to go to any lengths to make these amends, and my sponsor told me to them all means to them all. He told me that the first day we started working together. He said, when we get to that process, you will become willing to make all of those amends, with, provided they don't bring any more harm to anybody. You've got to be willing to do it. And if you're not, then you might as well find somebody else to work with because this is what's kept you sick for so many years. You never completed your house cleaning. You never completed your amends. And he was absolutely right. There were so many of them that I had left undone. I didn't think I needed them. I had sponsors telling me, cross them off the list. You don't need to make that. I'll just do something different. I had one guy told me, he said, man, don't make amends to your son. He said, man, just go be his dad. And that's a wonderful thing, man. That sounds great. I'd rather do that. But there was something in my spirit telling me, no, man, no. No, you go to that boy. You talk to him. You make it right. He was a grown man by now, and he had a lot of beautiful women in his life. And every time that he would break up with one of them, man, I'd zone in on him like a red-tailed hawk. I would, and I would be all over those women. And it was just like I ended up doing it with one of them that he loved very deeply, and it hurt him bad when he found out about it. It, it hurt him. And here I thought I was going to make amends to him because I'd taken his daughter away from him because of his drug use. She didn't need to be around him. He's a drug addict. You know, he's not practicing. He doesn't want recovery. He don't want to come up here with us. He said, man, it's none of that, Dad. What you did to that girl, he said, that tore my heart out. And that was a huge amends. If I would listen to that guy, I promise you, I'd have walked away from that amends. And my that relationship would have never healed between me and my son. Today, we got one of the best relationships that there is. I love that dude. He loves me. And it's good times when we see each other. Thank God.
that I did what the book said and didn't listen to what that dude was telling me. And that was not the dude that took me through this work. This was someone prior to this. It says we attempt to sweep away the debris. Doesn't mean we're going to, but we're going to make an attempt to anyway, which is accumulated out of our effort to live on, look at this word, self, small s, self's will. And to run the show according to self. Look at this prayer. A step prayer. He showed us prayer all the way through here. If we haven't the will to do this, we ask. And anytime we see those two words in the big book, that's prayer. We ask until it comes. And man, I did not have the will to do some of these. I promise you I did. And I had to pray for the willingness to become willing. Give me the willingness to become willing. Please, God. And it would come. Eventually it come. Remember. And in other words, he's asking me to remember. He's telling me very strongly, don't forget. <laughs> remember, it was agreed in the beginning that you would go to English for victory over alcohol, lust, drugs, sex, whatever it may be. Those are all the fleas. The bug is still the same itself. This is what we're doing now. We're killing self. And when that happens, not only have I not drank today, acted out, shot drugs, did any of that, I haven't even wanted to. Remember, this is why we kill the self here. Probably there are some misgivings as we look over the list of business acquaintance and friends that we have hurt. That's what we're looking to do is to make amends to those we have hurt. Those that we owe an apology, let's make it. Those we feel a little guilty about, let's clear the air. But when I go through this list with somebody, we're looking for hurt. We may feel dividend, in other words, hesitant, about going to some of them on a spiritual basis. I really don't try to do that. Let's be reassured to some people, not all people, to some people you need not. I got brothers that I was in prison with. I'm not going back to them on a spiritual basis to make amends to them. Tell them, you know, about all this. Not unless I'm led by spirit to do it, because if I don't, I'm going to walk into a hornet's nest, I promise. It says we need not, probably should not, emphasize the spiritual feature on the first approach. That's a hell of a word, couple of words there. First approach, what do you mean? I mean, I'm going to make the approach, make the amends, and get on with it. Well, there was a guy that didn't accept my amends. There was one guy out of that whole list. I had about 90 people on that list. After we cleared the whole list out, I had 90 left. And by God's grace, I made 89 of those amends. And I'm in the process of making the last one now. It's a huge financial amends. But there was a dude in there that was in our group. And we did ceremonial sweat lodges together. We were brothers. I, I love that dude. And one day, self man came all over me, and he did something that upset me, man. And I nutted out on him. He didn't like that very well. I've been doing that for a long time. And he didn't like that very well, and he pulled away. And so, as some time went on, I went through this process of the work, and I come back to him and I say, hey, you know. I need to make amends to you, man, for what I've done. And I stuck out my hand. He said, I don't want your amends, man. He said, I'm tired of the way that you've treated me. And I don't want any part of anything to do with you anymore. And self jumped all over me right then. It told me. That's fine, buddy. But you remember who made the approach. And uh, I walked away from him. I started going through this process of the work, come back to him. My sponsor said, I want you to get a hold of that dude. I said, man, I already tried to make that amends. Um, no, I, I've already done that. He said, I don't care. You try to do it again. 
damn, I don't want to do that. Well, if we have the will not to do that, what's it say in the paragraph up above? We ask for the willingness till it comes. Well, I pray, praying for the willingness, praying for the willingness, and it finally came, and I approached him, and he wouldn't take it again. And I was like, all right, I'm done. Sponsor's like, no, you're not done. Give it one more shot. And I'm like, dude. And he brought me back to this. He said, quit trying to talk about amends. Go right the wrong, man. I want you to send him a letter. And after this, you'll be done. And very hesitantly, led by spirit, I sit down and wrote a letter to this dude. And I got his address and I sent it to him. And it took a lot of fear off of him. He did not forgive me for what I'd done to him. But he felt comfortable enough to come back to the in-person meetings. He didn't feel like he was going to be threatened or hurt by, by me or any of that anymore. About a year later, after I'd been exposed, my wife was in the local Walmart here in, in the U.S. And uh, he was in the store that day and he approached her. He said, man, is David with you? She said, no, nah, he's working today. And he said, man, I just want you to know that I'm very sorry for all of the things that happened to you. He was talking to her because he knew I'd got exposed for lust addiction after 24 years. And he said, I'm very sorry for one thing, what had happened to you, he said. But would you please tell David that it would be okay that if he wanted to come back out and we could begin to do our sweat ceremonies again, that he'd be welcome to come. And she just said, you know, I don't think that's going to happen, but we definitely appreciate it. Well, when she come home and told me that, I knew that God had completed the amen without me being there because he'd forgiven me that day or he wouldn't invite me back to his house. I know he would. So there's times that we're going to have to make more than one approach. I did that being led by a sponsor's advice. I would have never went back and done that. But thank God I did because now I can run into that dude in town or anywhere that I may be. And we're not going to have dinner together and we're not going to hug and, and pat ass and go to a meeting and all that stuff together. But um, we are brothers and, uh, you know, he doesn't have to be afraid anymore. And I don't have to duck in shame. This is a powerful, powerful step. We might prejudice them. At the moment, we're trying to put our lives in order. And that's all we're doing right here. We want to put our lives in order. Man, we've been out of order. A lot of chaos. But this isn't an end in itself. Of course it isn't. There's it's never going to be an end to it. It don't seem like. But our real purpose, and I used to hear people run around, and I was one of them. I just want to discover what my purpose is and why. Well, if I read this book and do what it says, it's going to tell me right here what my real purpose is. And it's to fit myself to be a maximum service to God and people about us. And I used to run around saying all the time, you know, my real purpose is to be a maximum service to God and the people about us. I said it all the time. And I remember that sponsor catching me outside that meeting. He said, there's a part of that you're leaving out. And I said, what do you mean? He said, they're on 77. You're leaving a part of that out. And I said, what part? He said, about your real purpose. I said, my real purpose is to be a maximum service. To he said, no, your real purpose is to fit yourself to be a maximum service. If I get physically fit, there's going to have to be some work involved in that. Same goes for being spiritually fit. A soldier knows his mission. He's fit for combat. Now, he don't know what that combat's going to be, but when it comes, he's fit and ready. It's the same thing for us here, only we know what ours is going to be. Uh, we've got a pretty good idea by now what it's going to be. But I promise you, if I'm not fit for that, I'm never going to be able to make it. I just can't. 
it, it gets pretty drastic. But man, the payoff is so beautiful. The sunlight of the spirit, the connection to God as I know it today, the oneness with my brothers and sisters. I'm no longer hurting women the way that I did. I'm no longer talking to people the way that I used to do. It's just, it's unbelievable. This runs deep, very deep. It says it is seldom wise, which that means not very smart, to approach an individual who still smarts from our injustice to him. And that was the guy I talked about. And announced that we've gone religious. Now in the prize ring, this would be called bleeding with the chin. Why lay ourselves open to be branded fanatics or religious bore? Here's the biggest reason I don't want to do any of that is I may kill a future opportunity to carry a beneficial message, not only to him, but to somebody. But here it is, and I'll stop with this. Our man is sure to be impressed with a sincere desire to set right the wrong. That's what an amend is. It's not me coming to you telling you I'm sorry. I've been telling people I'm sorry my whole life. Hell, they've been telling me I'm sorry my whole life. This isn't about me saying I'm sorry. Not only. I mean, that's, don't get me wrong, a sincere apology goes a long way. But this is a sincere desire to set right the wrong. He's going to be more interested in a demonstration. He wants to see the action in me, not the words I got to tell him, with no action to back it up. He wants to see a demonstration of goodwill, well, a whole lot more than he wants to hear my talk about spiritual discoveries and what the program of AA has done in my life. And today I'm sober by the grace of God and this and that. Now I want my money, dude. You owe me money. I want my money. You talk about all that stuff you want to talk about at your meetings, but if I owe the man money, I need to pay his money. So a lot to go here, man. We're just getting kicked off in this. I'm so grateful everybody came out. I uh, hope everybody had a happy Thanksgiving and, uh, Man, just really excited to be in this part of the book, man. This is where the magic really begins to manifest and grow in us, man. We're no longer bonded by self. We're in the sunlight of the spirit now, and we're going to be walking hand in hand with the spirit of the universe. I don't know about you, but nothing could be more exciting for me than that. That's the greatest gift I've ever been given. So anyway, Dennis, thank you for your service. I love you, man. Ashley, thank you as well, little sister. Love you too. And uh, everybody, thank you for coming out. This concludes David's share on tonight's chapter, but we encourage you to keep listening as he answers questions from the audience and shares additional experience, strength, and hope. Just one question that's always confused me, David. It says, when we decide uh, who is to hear our story, and so my understanding in 12-step recovery is that we work the steps, all of them, with the guidance of a sponsor. So what was going on in 1938 that they would say it this way instead of telling you to work the whole set of steps with one guy? Well, I think in my experience, what happened in 1939 versus what was going on today, whenever we ask somebody to tell a story, they want to sit down and write about their entire life and how much of a victim they've been all the way through it. And that's what they want to come tell everybody about. You know, to answer that question, I don't really know. I just know that with one guy through the process as it's outlined in this book, that story became less and less and less. And what I really did was begin to discover the truth about the lie. And that was the, what itself self is what it created the story. Only I didn't know that. So I don't know if that answers your question. And, but for me, I don't know. It's pretty clear right here what I'm going to be doing. So anyway, thanks for your question. David, you talked about how 
doing the fifth step, you would um, look at, you know, what's just guilt and shame? Where do I need to clear the air and give an apology? Versus, you know, the, the book says we're going to people that we hurt. So what what's the difference there? Is it, you know, emotional, physical, material, hurt? Like what what's the difference between that and just guilt and shame? Okay, you're talking about the eighth step, not the fifth, right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, that's all right. I, um, you know, I'm not going to make amends for all the stuff that I feel guilty about. <laughs> Obviously, I'm going to be making amends for the rest of my life if that's the case. And I'm probably going to open up a can of worms that, that needs to stay closed. So it's important for me to know the difference between guilt and, and harm. And it's also important for me to know the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt tells me that I've done something wrong, but shame tells me that I'm a bad person for doing wrong. So I'm okay with a little bit of guilt because I don't want to repeat that behavior again. But I want to get rid of shame because I'm not a bad person. You know, I'm, I'm a sick person. I've been bonded by self this entire time and not even really known it. And uh, so for me, you know, I mean, there, there were people that I needed to make an apology to. I, I had a couple of cousins that you know, I, I had talked smack about them and they got back to them and, and they wasn't hurt. You know, they just didn't want to have anything to do with me anymore. And I just went to them and said, look, you know, I owe you a huge apology for what I've done. And, you know, they were okay with it. I mean, we, we cleared that up pretty good, but I don't know, you know, uh, harm for me is, is something like what I'd done to my wife in 2019. It was what I'd done to that man with the, the sweat ceremonial stuff. It was the way that I had, uh, talked and abused people in the group with, you know, trying to play God in their life. And those were the actual harms. Now, there were some people that were by standards of that, that really didn't get affected by the harm, but I still had to make an apology to them. So those are just some examples of how that works for me. Clearing the air, that was a big one. There were some people that there really wasn't any harm. I really didn't want an apology, but I, just every time we were around each other, there was some kind of tension in the air. I knew something was wrong. And I can remember going to him saying, look, man, I don't know what's happened in our relationship or even between us. But every time I'm around you, I feel like, you know, there's just something not quite right. Is there something that I've done that I need to apologize to you for? And a lot of times it'd be no, no, don't worry about it. But a lot of times it'd be, yeah, you know, I mean, there's times that you play the big shot when you're in meetings. You won't let anybody else talk. It was this and, and it was like, you know, then I needed to make an apology for that. But there was no actual harm done. So I don't know if that really answers your question, but that's kind of my experience along those lines. So. Perfect. Thank you.